your business is easy to become more successful. That's kind of the way it works. That's the Matthew effect, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 Why is that so funny? Um, yeah, no, that's that's been in a, in a couple of different books I've read recently. Um, and obviously, yeah, and obviously Jordan Peterson talks about it all the time. Yeah, he does. Mm. He has these like bad ideas. Mostly, it's Marxism. Well, it's, it's like anti Marxism. If you give him an opportunity to talk about Marxism, yeah, yeah, yeah. you'll be like Marxism. Yeah, and postmodernism, obviously. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which kind of fine, but like, okay, we got it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I find it. I find it. It's a very interesting. Sorry, go on. Yeah, there is. I I see that as a pitfall for. Uh, like basically, for me, it's like a measure of the worth of the person as an intellectual ideas. If mm. he keeps falling into talking about the same thing easier, mm. then his worth is less mm. than the one who keeps like you know expanding on different ideas. Well, and yeah, it, I, especially <laughs> like you know, to credit of Jordan Peterson, he yeah. doesn't repeat himself verbatim. Yeah, so yeah, that yeah. means there is you know like you know processing so every time he speaks something he puts it in denova into words and that For means sure. that he denova you know like realizes it right yeah yeah so yeah he's clearly uh, got his his topics that he's obsessed about and i mean obviously you know his studies yeah, okay. of, of totalitarianism and, and everything and that's fair enough but when you uh hear a person who you know keeps getting back to the same topic over and over again mm. and like sam harris with free will free will yeah, religion yeah, yeah. And it's like sometimes he actually repeats himself verbatim. Yeah, well, even on the small stuff that I've heard, like you know, different, you know, a different, a different to listen to him. Yeah, he'll be repeating stuff like word for word. Absolutely. It's like, yeah, dude, you have, yeah, you haven't done any new, you know, like realization. You haven't done any new thought work here. You just like solve this question as if it's solved. Yeah, I, I completely agree to an extent. Um, I mean, I think it's a pitfall. Definitely, and I think it's something that happens when you speak in public a great deal. Um, you do, yeah. you do, you know, you get it. You fall into a into a patter, you know, um, especially uh -huh. when you're doing a lot of, of intense interviews because because you're not that comfortable and you need to be able to. It's like playing licks as a as a as a musician or whatever, you know. Like there are things that are just going to come out because you're comfortable. You can repeat them, and, but also, I find them fascinating. I mean, like I've said to you many times. Um, I find the personalities really interesting. I find because I find the structure of the person's, you know, cognition as expressed in their, um, you know, behavior and specifically in their in their verbal behavior. Um, in this case, I find that really really fascinating. And I find I find Jordan Peterson's obsession with with totalitarianism and kind of especially when he first came onto the scene, you know, which is only like a year and a bit ago in terms of suddenly became famous, um, like suddenly was a big thing on YouTube. Um, he was really stressed out at the time, obviously. Like he was under the gun. He was in these public debates. He was thinking he was going to lose his job. Like he was really worked up. Um, and of course, you know, I that, that all went into my Jordan Peterson model was that he was you know, quite anxious and, and worked up and, and overly emotional and all that kind of stuff. He's now kind of rebounded and he's in a different space, I think. Like, he seems really, really comfortable in these interviews and he's so lucid. Um, but, you know, I got that impression that he had scared himself 
studying totalitarianism and now like he sees it wherever he looks kind of thing you know like he was he was being pretty over the top about some of the stuff i think um and I, and I definitely think that was something that decreased his worth in your um in your lexicon i wouldn't say it that way but i find again you know him being a product of his time the whole anti-postmodernism thing in the in the you know um obviously that was contemporaneous with the postmodernism but you can read a lot of other a lot of really interesting writers like peter medawar and and obviously people like Dawkins and stuff were formed in this crucible of the anti-postmodernism, anti-relativism, you know, pushback against all that kind of stuff. So I, yeah, I find it interesting for like a, for a variety of reasons. And of course I'm, this will be the last thing before you can speak. <laughs> of course I'm really fascinated by people who can, who can translate diverse ideas into coherent frameworks. You know, this is my, my thing. Um, and there are, you know, better and worse ways of doing okay. that. Yeah. And it's not the, it's not the same as like seeing postmodernism or, or fascism or whatever everywhere you look. It's quite, it's very different from that. But there, it's somewhat akin to that. And he is, he is very much this guy. Like he, he doesn't know he's practicing my philosophical framework, but he is. Um, and because he's looking at archetypes and all of that kind of stuff and he's relating it to modern empirical science and he's, you know, he's, he's an integrator and that's what's awesome about him for me. Integrator. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I like the dude. I like the dude. And I kind of, you know, share his uh, emotions towards postmodernism, especially if applying to social justice where guys... Yeah, because I, those yeah. they're just nuts. They're just like full on crazy. I'm wearing that excerpt that in Joe Joe Rogan was showing his podcast. Um, the there was some like African, uh, whatever American Canadian, I have no idea. Mm. Um, a girl sh shouting at some dude was like fifty or something, yeah. and she's just like, "This is so weird. This is so characteristic yeah. of those you know teachers." Yeah. Uh, that they they don't get that what they do is not rational. It's just purely fueled by emotions. Sure. And she's constantly saying to him that she he should not uh, interrupt her while he's not trying even to. Mm -hmm. And she's pretending as if it's a dialogue. Like constantly telling him not to interrupt her and just speaks you know like the same things over and over again for like for sure. several minutes. Yeah, I mean it's people like... people are not like people people are many are many things. And um, I think that some of those videos, this is a real phenomenon, but it's not, you know, going on on every street corner right now, you know, and sometimes people like Rogan and Jordan Peterson, and I mean, you know, they've been in the thick of it and, and they've been accused and all of that kind of stuff. They've been threatened. Um, and Sam Harris is like this, totally. I mean, he's like this with the social justice warriors, but he's also like this with a lot of the religious people, obviously, who have criticized him. He's been criticized a great deal and he's got his back up. And so, but when you take those things out of context, well, not take them out of context, there's no context in which that's cool, clearly, but it's like the news, you know, you watch the news and you feel like every, there are people getting murdered on every street corner. It's not... Yeah, no, fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. But the same token, I don't quite understand why we as a society think that 17-year-olds or 18 or 19-year-olds can have any valid idea or any valid way of actually having an informed conversation about life 
with somebody who's been, you know, living for like 50 years and who's, you know, occupying some position at university and has a PhD. I just don't get it how we as a society think that they have anything valid to say because they can't. They've never seen, they haven't seen the light. They have no idea what it is. They just went, you know, like from school where we're, you know, essentially in an incubator in the control environment where everything was good for them, made for them. And now they're facing life and they think they know something. I don't get how we, the the society, actually think, yeah, they have something to say. We should listen to them. Like this is such an insane idea. I just I just don't get it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, I basically <laughs> agree with that. I don't think it's it's coming from them, though. I mean, they are perhaps being empowered. Yeah, no, no, they, but if, they are the voice, but yeah. then everybody else are like, yeah, you yeah. know, and sharing the tweeters, you know, yeah. and sharing, sure. doing all the stuff. And it's like, why? Yeah, well, the, whole, the whole thing is, is like, feeling itself. Why? Why do we trust those people? They're not trustworthy. They haven't seen life. Well, it's group. It's just it's not. It's not that anybody trusts them. It's just groupthink. It's confirmation bias. It's not about trusting those people or seeing them as authorities. It's about them. Yeah, they're yeah, they're but, just spouting you know, some. They, you know. You know what? They're all the college protests and stuff. Why do we listen to them? In what sense listen to them? In the sense that yeah, guys, we will go doing something that so make you you know more comfortable. Why did all the trigger warnings and safety zones and all of that? Why did they you know came into being? Because there has to be some adult who we know. Yeah, obviously, you, but you, you I think you've got it. I think you've got the car before the horse, man. Because I don't I don't think that this entirely originated with the kids. You know, I think it speaks into a. Um, an element of the zeitgeist and also an element of, of, of you know, theory in academic, in academic circles um, that it, it maps onto in some way. There, there is a, a dangerous coherence there. Um, those things are a, a pack of memes that are working together. I don't really think it's just that we're listening to the kids. I think it's that the kids are saying something that and, and I, I'm not saying we, like you keep saying we, um, the kids are saying something that confirms, there's a confirmation bias in those adults. It's not that they're being convinced, it's not that they're like, oh, I never really thought about it like that. These 17 or 18 year olds are actually really wise. It's like, yeah, that's exactly how it is. Um, and that's how it was when I was that age. And that's how it's, and we need, you know, and Jordan makes the point and many other people have made the point, but, um, and, you know, we've talked about it many times over the years. And social media is is this huge, you know, um, uh, you know, fuel for this for this fire, providing all this fuel. Um, you've got the the people believing that they're generally good people, and and not only that they're generally good people, that they're better than you know most people. They're not like around yeah. the middle. They have this firm belief deep inside them. I am a good person and I'm in the right in almost all of my interactions. You know, every now and then I fuck up and I'm a jerk, you know, and then I say sorry. And and of course, the, I, because I say sorry, because I realize that I fuck up, it definitely means that the rest of the time I'm a good person because I know those yeah. times when I fuck up. And then you've got that really insidious thing that creeps in on top of that, which is that because it's in the name of being a good person, I get to indulge all of this anger and all of this negative emotion and all of this bitterness and all of yeah. this shit that I yeah, have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, because like, yeah. yeah. 
I don't have to resist it because I'm right. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, so I, yeah, anyway. Obviously, I, there are a lot of people that I really like, um, you know, podcasters and YouTubers and, and lecturers and all, and, um, you know, people who are active right now who are, like, you know, really engaged in this battle with the social justice warriors and all that kind of stuff. And I totally agree with, with the vast majority of arguments that those people are putting forward about the phenomena as they describe them and as illustrated by certain circumstances. But I also think that there's a big beat-up about this, you know, that I think that people are really worked up about this, um, which is itself, you know, a, you know, fueling the fire. Um, I think that that whole, like, drawing massive amounts of attention to it, and, um, again, not that it shouldn't be, like, inappropriate behaviour and stupidity should be criticised, but I think that the there is a kind of level of almost histrionics amongst some of the, you know, advocates of free speech. I, uh, I, like, this is a public lynching, you know, it breaks people's lives. Yeah, and yeah, sure. And, you yeah. know, we kind of, we thought that we've dealt with it, like, in the end of, of you know, 18th century, yeah. you know, first half of 19th century. Yeah. We've dealt with public shaming and public, you know, like, uh, how are they called the... I don't know the English term, basically like societal, social executions, when yeah. we don't harm the person yeah. physically, but we basically yeah, destroy but I, I, him society. Sure, but I think this is impossible to avoid with social media. Now we're back to that. Of course, well now we have social media. Like, it's yeah, not even comparable. people now have been damaged by that, of like, course. you know, to a high extent, yeah. so that has to be in the, in the focus. I agree. Because I, yeah. people have to realize that this is, you know, we should not do that. I can, because, I, like, we've been over that. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree, man. But I just want to, you know, I always have to play devil's advocate a little bit here. Like, I, any any mainstream narrative, and both of these are mainstream narratives, right? The social justice warrior movement is a mainstream narrative and the anti-social justice warrior movement is a mainstream narrative. And for me, I feel like any mainstream narrative needs to be, you know, taken down a, a notch and needs to be critically interrogated. Every narrative needs to be critically interrogated. Um, and so now we have social media and of course we're getting this horrible shaming and all this shit and it's destroying people's lives. Like, it's messed up. It's really bad and it needs to be publicly criticised. But at the same time, you know, one of the things that the, you know, so-called, well, that I'm calling the anti-social justice warrior people, and I mean, basically, philosophically, I'm one of those people, um, but they are having, they... We do a lot of, like, um, <laughs> trying to find the right you know, I'm almost trying to find the politically correct term, but sometimes we see people acting like victims and we say, look, this really bad thing did happen to you, but the world is full of bad shit and you need to not be such a victim because you need to, like, move on. And it's actually the same with the anti-social justice warrior people. They are feeling victimised um, and they are giving... Those people who, who were publicly shamed, instead of having a much broader criticism of the system in which you can be publicly shamed just because a bunch of people say that, you know, you did something wrong. Um, 
it's much easier to direct your ire at the people who who inappropriately said that this person did something wrong rather than look at the whole system which needs to evolve in order to cope with the fact that we have social media and public shaming is going to be ubiquitous because people are people so we have to build in now, resilience it's not, it's not going to be ubiquitous mm. we can we change the morals and then mm. we change that mm. you know the vehicles for public shaming existed for forever but you know we didn't have that much in the 20th, 20th century because we you know we dealt with that like we had a whole you know uh like movement against that yeah and then yeah, people true. were like yeah okay you know we changed into a dignity-based culture sure. and then we did change into the dignity-based culture yeah. but now we're moving away from the dignity-based culture and the idea is to get back to dignity-based culture the idea yeah. is to understand that if you get offended mm. by words it is your problem. Yeah, it's but not the, somebody else's problem. That's the same, like in reverse. It's got to be the it's same not, in reverse. It's not the same. It's not, there is a difference. There is a difference. And the difference is that if you get offended by words, there is no harm. But if somebody, you know, if somebody fires you, there is something that you cannot alter by just altering the way you you were. You For sure, but that's because that. that's because of the reaction. People, that's because were, of, you know, they have yeah, yeah, yeah. repercussions. No, I totally agree. I haven't disagreed with that. But what I'm saying is, again, I'm I'm saying critically interrogate the mainstream narrative. There's just a, there's also a problem with the fact that the person got fired because somebody said something about them. It's not just the person yeah. having said something about them. So you cannot go back. You know, I have to. I mean, you know, I've overstepped. Uh, a number of times in this conversation already by saying, you know, it will be ubiquitous. It might not be ubiquitous. It need not be ubiquitous. Um, and it's not the same either. Of course, it's not the same when, when, you know, people are offended by words and when they're fired. I'm not saying it's the same. I'm saying it's a product of the same phenomenon, which is people taking words yeah. too seriously. Okay. Yeah. And I, I just really, I, hang on, I just really want to say um, that you cannot go back you know, you can't go back to the culture of before because you didn't have social media then. There is no going back. So you have to move forward into a more, you know, enlightened approach to the fact that there is social media and that there is a, a greater propensity or a greater, you know, faculty um, for public shaming than ever before. Yep, I agree with that. <laughs> well, I'm glad we're in complete agreement as always. Yeah, usually, usually we are at the very end, we realize that. Yeah. Give me, give me three minutes. Oh,